Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Courtside Convo. It's great to be back here with you. Um, this is most likely our last episode of the semester. Um, we are in full swing now for the NBA playoffs. There's a lot happening around the league, so we're going to jump right into it. I'm your host today, AJ Evans, joined alongside Tim Marshall, Derek Mitchell, and Zach Serdinik. Um We currently have the NFL draft on right now alongside with the Boston Celtics and Atlanta Hawks game, so there's a lot happening. We'll be sure to keep you updated and We'll be talking along the way. Um, before we jump into the playoffs, I'd like to start with you guys and talk to you all a little bit about a recent hire um, that sent shockwaves through around the league. Uh, Ime Udoka has officially been hired as the new head coach uh, by the Houston Rockets. Um, obviously, I think everyone knows about the situation that happened in Boston with Udoka. Um, after a really excellent you know, debut coaching season, Udoka was suspended for the season then eventually was let go. Uh, I think... I'd say right before the playoffs, um, right towards the end of the regular season, Joe Mazzula has taken over uh, full-time as a head coach. And so Udoka is now the head coach of the Rockets. He signed reportedly a four-year, $28.5 million deal. It's a pretty large deal. Um, And he was also rumored to be in running for the Detroit Pistons head coaching position and also the Raptors position, which opened up a little bit later. But uh, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on that signing and and yeah I just want to hear what you guys think I'll start with you Tim yeah I thought it was very interesting uh especially in his press conference when he was talking about the options he had he said he was offered from Toronto and Detroit along with Houston and he said he picked Houston over Toronto because of the ceiling that this team possibly can have he said we kind of know what the Raptors are like when they play their best they're only a five seed like they don't have as much potential and firepower as the Rockets could have if they somehow get Wembenyama. They already have Jalen Green. I think Sangoon's a really nice piece. Like they could with some good coaching and like good culture, they could be a very good team in the next two to three years. Absolutely. I think the same way, Tim. I mean like with the ceiling that the like the um the Raptors have, I don't think they're like really that good as they're like kind of captain at a five C they won't get any better than that. We know what they are. The Rockets are so young. They have so many young talent, and getting a having a forty percent chance of getting the first pick this summer and getting Wimby would change that whole team, like and flip it around immediately, in my opinion. So I think just getting a really, really great coach like Udoka in there, who led the Celtics to the finals, and it was a fantastic year for them. So I think he could really change the Rockets in their kind of losing coach that they've had in the last couple of years. This Rockets team has been one that it always feels like has been talked about, like. They've got young talent. They're going to be able to do something exciting. And then you watch a Rockets game and then you don't want to watch the Rockets anymore. Um, And hopefully they can get something going because you mentioned the culture. They really need to improve that and win some games because you can continue to tank for so long and that doesn't do you anything. I mean, ask to give a cross-court or cross-sport combo here. Uh, the Detroit Tigers of the last seven years. Ask them how it is to just continue to lose and get more prospects. It doesn't always doesn't always work. Yeah. And then you look at a team that's doing rebuilding right like the Oklahoma City Thunder. They stockpiled picks. They've got a ton of young prospects. They brought in a coach that could help with that. And all of a sudden, they were one win away from being in the playoffs this year. And yet, they still have a treasure trove of things to work with. And hiring the coach is the first step to getting that core to work because... At the end of the day, Jalen Green is one of the most talented scorers around. You just have to be able to unlock that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, the interesting thing is about this this Rockets team to me is that I was really 
excited about the Stephen Silas hire just because Silas is known to be a player development guy. He was an assistant coach for 19 years, I believe, in the league. And I thought if there was anyone that could help this team just take a step in the right direction, not, you know, lead them to the finals or the conference finals, but just help them, you know, get back to relevancy, I thought it was him. Um, You know, but there's a lot going on in Houston right now. Uh, I think both on the court and off the court. And I think a lot of those issues off the court are spilling onto the court. You know, I think there's certainly a culture issue. And I think they need a culture reset as bad as any team in the league right now. Um, Something I was impressed by in the press conference was that Udoka said youth is not an excuse. Um, He said he used to say the same thing to Tatum and Brown, um, which I thought was incredibly interesting. And I think I'm sure that played a role in the season they had last year. Uh, Just being the team that they are, I think, not to say I think those guys believe this, but, you know, when you're that young and that talented, you firmly believe you always have time. Well, I mean, you saw what he did with Tatum, and Tatum's only 19 still, obviously. <laughs> He's always going to be only 19, oh, so, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I, you know, I'm excited about this hire, and I think if there's anybody that, like I said, I believe Silas could, if there's anybody that can help this team take a step in the right direction, I, I do think it's Udoka. Um, and he's a big defensive guy obviously I think I think there's just a lot he'll bring to the table he'll probably bring in a new staff so uh I think it'll certainly be one of the more interesting situations um this season and Houston will definitely be a team to watch the Rockets are in for a turnaround for sure I'm calling it (laughs) yeah I mean they also have 14 percent chance of the first pick yeah and Mm -hmm. so and they also have a lot of cap space you do and if you're able to add even a top two or top three pick like for them, I don't hate the idea of if they don't get the one spot to get the three spot. Yeah. Because they don't necessarily need another point guard. Mm-hmm. But Brandon Miller would fit really well in that scheme and with the players that they have. And sure. so obviously we'll get way more into breaking that down once the lottery happens in draft season. But I think that that could be another big piece and another impactful spot for Udoka to work with and for this Rockets squad. Yeah, and Tillman Fertitta, also the owner of the Rockets, he, I think, accidentally gave it away, but the Houston Rockets are uh, breaking ground on a new practice facility that'll be, uh, uh, mm-hmm. I think, around $70 million, he said. Um, so there's a lot going on in Houston, and obviously they have a new uh, head coach to help guide them into a, a new era. That's hopefully a successful one. Um, but transitioning into the playoffs um, – Last night, history was made. The Milwaukee Bucks were defeated by the Miami Heat. The Heat uh, won the series in a gentleman's sweep, uh, four to one. And before this series, only four eight seeds had defeated a one seed uh, leading up to this point. So obviously, there's a, a lot to unpack um, from the press conference with Giannis and Mike Budenholzer and his adjustments or his inability to make adjustments, um, but. I kind of just want to go around the table, get your guys' thoughts, and you know, hear what you guys think about that series, and also think, talk about the ceiling of this Heat team because I think when we talked a little bit about this team, I don't think there was a lot of optimism around this team. You know, necessarily making a lot of noise in the playoffs. We talked about them being a tough out, but we didn't really talk about much beyond that. And now, all of a sudden, they've taken out the one seed in the Eastern Conference. So, Tim, once again, I'll start with you. Yeah, it's it's crazy. That was a five game series that if you were to tell me oh this series would end in five games I think literally 100% of people would say oh yeah the Bucks beat the Heat five that makes a lot of sense but 
just the way Jimmy Butler played was truly amazing. Just put the team on his back. And then Spo um, obviously just kind of coached circles around Budenholzer. Like, there was a couple times where in, like, crunch time late in game five where there were time of, like, ability. There was spots where he could have called timeouts and he just didn't. Like, they had a timeout left, tie game, 0.5 seconds on the clock, and just kind of passed the ball to Giannis and then game went into overtime. It's just like it didn't seem like they were fully there, like mentally, like down the stretch. They were up 16 in both of the last two games and nothing came of it. They lost both of them and dire needs of wins. They just couldn't get them. I agree with that, Tim. I mean, like the Bucks kind of choked in a way when they come in the last couple minutes of the games. It's like they don't really have a, the spark that they need and just giving the body honest isn't really an option always. They have a good well, first and second guy. I mean, the second and third guy with um, Middleton and um, him as well. So I don't think they should be able to just play a little bit better and get a little bit more of a spark from their other players and their other rotation players on the Bucks because the Bucks is pretty deep. When you look at their roster, they have a good rotation of players, but they're not really playing in a way that like, kind of looks on paper. They're not playing in a way that looks to make them kind of the team that we've seen in the last couple of years going to the finals and winning and stuff like that. It's just kind of surprising and shocking to me to not see them kind of choking away. It's just weird. You mentioned choking away. That's the big thing I came away with in this is how do you allow yourself to blow those leads not once, but twice. You were up 13 with five minutes to go in Miami game four. You lose that game. Jimmy Butler went nuts that night in the end. That's fine. It is what it is. It sucks. But you're going back to Milwaukee. You're up 16 points to start the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, it's a 27-11 run at one point to allow Miami to tie it. And it wasn't a Jimmy Butler explosion, per se, in the fourth quarter in this game. I mean, Gabe Vincent... Hits the three that gives them a chance. Drew Holiday misses the free throw. That was a huge play because otherwise the Heat would have had to take a three there instead of settling for that lob to Jimmy. There's just so many things that could have happened there that didn't, and it doesn't make much sense when you think about it. I mean, even Spolstra was stunned that they didn't call a timeout at the end of that game like you guys were talking about. Like, it just it didn't make much sense to me. Um, Giannis struggled from the line. I think that the people saying that this affects Giannis's legacy are incorrect, in my opinion. I don't. I think that's way too far. Giannis still had thirty-eight and twenty. Yes, he didn't play well last night, but Giannis is still one of the greatest we've ever seen to play the game. But Jimmy Butler in the playoffs just takes his game to another level. And this is a good Heat team, though. Like they are. I've heard a lot of statements about like. Jimmy Butler carried a bad Miami Heat team to the... No. Kyle Lowry has played really well in these playoffs, um, with the exception of that one turnover late in Game 4 when they were going back and forth. He's played really well. You had Tyler Hero and Victor Oladipo both go down, but other players have stepped up. Duncan Robinson remembered that he's getting paid $90 million <laughs> to shoot threes, and so he can shoot threes because he's very good at it when he actually shoots them. And Robinson stepped up... Adebayo, 20-point triple-double in Game 5 to help him close it out. He can get it done on both ends. This is a very good Miami Heat team. I'm really excited to see them play the Knicks because that should be a really fun series. Yeah, I agree. Um, Like we talked about, I mean, like all of you guys have said, there's a lot that went on. There's a lot of confusion. I think, you know, for me, I was just stunned by the lack of adjustments that were made by Budenholzer. Um, That Bucks, the Bucks' offense looked really stagnant at times and I just felt like it you know 
their options were not maximized at all. And that's incredibly disturbing to, disturbing to see from a team that's been in this situation before, that's won a championship, that obviously has championship aspirations. You know, this and you know, this is not a young team where mistakes like these are not necessarily surprising. No, I think I think everyone was stunned and rightfully so. And you know, for me, I think I never usually say this about mini series. I, I don't try and put it on the coach because I think the coach only has so much of an influence over the game. The players are still the ones playing, but you know, Budenholzer was, I think, completely outcoached through this entire series. And I think Milwaukee, if I'm Milwaukee, I would be interested in exploring coaches open on the market right now. I mean, Nick Nurse is available. And also, too, I think heading into next season, I think next season is incredibly important for Budenholzer. I think he has two years left on his deal. But I'm looking at next season as the year, as sort of as a prove-it year. Um, because I think this was inexcusable. This Heat team is really good, and they're they've had a, a really good postseason. And obviously, Jimmy is amazing. I think he has cemented his place in Heat history, even with this win. And I mean, just you know, with his his pedigree and everything he's been able to do. But if I'm Milwaukee, like I said, I, I'm really looking at Budenholzer because I don't think you can. I think you can only fault this roster so much. Um, the playoffs are all about adjustments and. Budenholzer made very, very few, especially in Game 5. Completely agree. Um, I know a lot of our listeners are Detroit Lions fans, so here's our live reaction to this. I don't know if you three know this yet. The Detroit Lions are trading back from number 6 with Arizona. Okay. It hasn't come out what wow. they're getting yet, but they are moving back after. I'm wondering if uh, Seattle taking Devin Witherspoon at 5 affected that, because that's mm-hmm. who the Lions, it seemed like, were going to be looking. Yeah. And... Seattle took him, and now Arizona's trading up uh, to get number six, probably to get Jalen Carter, I would assume. Mm-hmm. But Interesting. So Arizona traded back. Oh, so the Lions got uh, number 12 and number 34 for number six. Okay. So they moved back six picks and a chance to, I mean, maybe still take Christian Gonzalez. You'll find out who they take by the end of the episode. I'm sure we'll have that number, oh, yeah. too. But oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that was a little surprising. Yeah, for sure. Uh, back to Milwaukee, though. Sorry, I'm not <laughs> yes. a Lions fan. I'm, I mean, I like Fair the enough. draft and stuff. You're but just hating. No, yeah. I just I think when you look at the um, the contributions of this Bucks team, I think it all goes to Giannis and his poor free throw shooting to begin with, and then Chris Middleton had some decent games, but Drew Holiday during the series was not good at all set only average 17 points 40 uh 40 percent from the field 28 percent from three and he's supposed to be an all nba defender and i know jimmy butler's really really good but like there were some times he literally pointed in his face and said i own you <laughs> like that's just as an all nba defender a defensive player of the year candidate like can't be, like he just did not play well this series that's probably one of the main reasons why Drew was dropping dimes, though, at yeah. least early in the series. Yeah, 16-11 yeah, the first two games, and then 3-4-6 and six in the last three. I mean, yeah. those three games, too, Giannis was back. Maybe that had something to do with it. He didn't have the ball in his hand as much. Right. So, yeah. I mean, you know, this Bucks team has been through a lot this season, and I think, for me, obviously, I think this is something that's overlooked in playoff basketball. You have to find a way to sort of... I guess get away. You have to 
you have to find a way to get past guys struggling because guys are going to struggle. It might be a rotational piece. It might be your star player. But, you know, no one is going to have everyone isn't going to have a perfect series. Somebody that you rely on is going to struggle. Um, and I think in, in this case, that's what happened with Drew. He wasn't awful, you know, but he wasn't at his best. No. Um, and if we look back to the last time they were eliminated last year, he didn't play great in those closeout game sevens with or against the Celtics and. There's been a few concerning playoff performances from him in the past. I think that's something to look out for as like this team's going to get a year older. Chris Middleton's a free agent. There's a lot of question marks for next season with this Bucks team. I agree. Well, if anyone no one has anything else to add, we can move on to the next series in the Eastern Conference uh that is concluded. The New York Knicks uh defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Knicks won the series 4 to 1. Um there was a lot that happened in this series as well. I was, I gotta say, I was pretty impressed by the Knicks, especially Jalen Brunson. Um, he's impressed me all season. I felt like Dallas should have paid him, and I, I, I knew that him getting his own offense would. I felt like it would be really beneficial to his game, and I mean, it has been. He has maximized it, and I think those years in Dallas have put him in the driver's seat uh, to be ready for a situation like this, and. He's embraced all of it, and he's been terrific. So, but uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this series, and I want to hear what you guys also think about this. How this team aligns with this tough, tough Miami Heat team. And Zach, I'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I loved what I saw from the Knicks. Mitchell Robinson was outstanding. He was inside. He's going to be a big piece because, and we'll talk about this more when we get to a couple other series later. But rebounding is so key. And when you can grab offensive boards, you can change the dynamic of a series. Yes. And Mitchell Robinson was able to do that. They really shut down this Cavs team. Donovan Mitchell was nowhere to be found in the majority of this series. And a lot of people thought it was going to be even more of a coming out party for Donovan Mitchell because he has done a really good job in the playoffs in his career. And he's playing against his hometown team in the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Everybody was expecting a breakout series from Donovan Mitchell and it just didn't happen. I mean, I think it all kind of got encapsulated in game four where they're in a close game and Donovan Mitchell scores two points in the entire second half. You cannot have that from your lead guard that already has a 70-plus point game this season. He's got to be able to score in the big moments, and he wasn't, and that hurt that team. They're still really young, though, mm-hmm. and yes. I like the Cavs, but I loved what I saw from the Knicks. Basketball in the NBA is just so much better when the Knicks are good. Um yeah. I mean, it's just Madison Square Garden. It's the aura in New York. Yeah. And having the Knicks with the Heat and a chance for a realistic chance for the Knicks to make the conference finals. I mean, you can't tell me that a Knicks Celtics conference finals wouldn't be ridiculous. Or even Knicks Sixers. Yeah. That'll light up the NBA for sure. 100%. Like, it'll I mean, be there's, that. there's that old saying when the Knicks. And the Celtics are doing good. Might be the Lakers, too. The NBA is doing good. And all three of those teams have legitimate shots to make the finals. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could see a Celtics-Lakers finals. We could see a Knicks-Celtics, or a Knicks-Lakers finals. We'd love to see it. Those would be great to see. But I no, I loved what I saw from Jalen Brunson and from this team. Um, hopefully, Julius Randle's able to go. Yes. Um, he was kind of mediocre in the playoff series. He wasn't spectacular, but he wasn't terrible either. He was just kind of there, which is kind of what he's been most of the season. Like, he's had a quietly good season for them, but not all-star level like he was a couple of years ago, but he doesn't need to be. I think the X factor for the Knicks in this series, though, is R.J. Barrett. If R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson are able to play well, 
I think they can beat Miami. Even though I really like Miami, I think the Knicks can beat Miami. That's a really good point, but I don't know. I think the Heat's defense has been playing really, really well this last mm-hmm. couple of games. Their interior defense, Bam's been playing pretty consistent the entire last season of series, so I don't think they'll be able to actually get all the boards that you're talking about now. He's got 18 boards in the last closeout game. I don't think that's going to happen the next game. I don't see it happening at all, but I mean, Brunson's been playing insane lately. He's just literally been so consistent in averaging those 24 points. That's just insanity from a point guard, and I had, I had really low expectations for him to come here and actually take over his own team and play the way that he's having, play the way he's playing right now, it's just surprising me in all sorts of cylinders. I kind of misjudged him a little bit when he was on the Mavericks, but I love how he's playing right now, and I think they could actually kind of take it to the heat and make maybe win and actually make it a run. If they win this, they're going to make a run 100%. I mean, these games were just rock fights. I think that's the best word to describe them. We had, like, these games were get, weren't getting over 200 points, and, like, that's just, like, old-school basketball, a lot of defense, missing shots. Uh, like, Cleveland just needs to find a way to score, and, like, it's going to be tough for them because, like, this is what they have. They don't have many... They're young, but they don't have many assets, and they just... It's not... They don't really have, a like, a true two-way guy who can shoot and defend they have shooters they have defenders they don't have anything in like a any three swingman you mean maybe like a, like a three and d type of guy yeah or even like garland can't defend mitchell can't really defend yeah i and mean then, it, yeah like i think we definitely will see more from mobley yeah, yeah. but like allen's kind of just that's kind of what jared allen is like they don't have a lot of different stuff going on in the future and they don't have any picks and not that much cap space. So I, they're going to need to score some more points. They can't be putting up 80 points a game in playoff series and expect to go far. They don't have a 3 and D guy? You mean the guy who is supposed to be the next Kawhi Leonard, Isaac Okoro, is not <laughs> no, a he's legend? Not, I was not even a starter him, anymore? No. Yeah, no. He's, that's, that's a tough one. It's interesting for me, too, because when Mitchell arrived in Cleveland, he spoke openly about buying in more defensively because he would have he had Darius Garland in the backcourt with him. And so I think that's an honest conversation that's going to need to be had in the offseason between those two guys um, and the coaching staff. You know, you guys are both great. You're both capable of putting up 20 a game. You know, Garland, I mean, Garland should average 20 and 10 for several seasons in his career. But with those guys both, you know, sharing the burden offensively, they should be able to commit a little bit more defensively, especially in the playoffs. You're going to need it. You know, you have to be at least – adequate on defense you don't have to be great but you have to be a plus defender in the playoffs you know teams can't constantly be attacking you not to say they were but they're not at the point where I think they're like I said plus defenders neither one of them and Mitchell has all the physical tools to be a really good two-way guy and I think it's just a matter of him buying in and being able to do so um for me you know I want to go back to something Zach mentioned I was really impressed with Robinson throughout this series. You know, I can't express how important I think it is to generate offensive rebounds for your team. You know, when you're able to to create that many possessions, extra possessions, you know, you're you're it opens up a new dimension for your team entirely. Um also too, I mean, that's offensive rebounds, that's the best time to shoot three-pointers. I think many people know that, you know, so there's just, like I said, a, a world of avenues open up whenever whenever you're able to rebound that well. Um, Brunson, you know, it's it's been really great to see him add different elements to his game with each passing season. 
Uh, I think as he's improved, the improvements have been more subtle just because it's like it's more so tightening up everything rather than taking these big leaps because he's getting to be so good. But I think this series has really exemplified and, and shown how much he's improved, you know, and where he's taken another leap. I mean, the game has really slowed down for him, obviously, but, you know, I think Brunson is one of the best floor generals in the league. And I think at some point he'll have to be in the conversation of being the best floor general. You know, when you look at guys like Tony Parker, Chris Paul, you know, guys who have the ability to score and create, but who control the entirety of the game, you know, from a flow perspective. I mean, I think Brunson is getting there. And if this Knicks team can continue to have, you know, the success that they've had in this series and, and for years to come, obviously it's going to take a little bit longer. I think, you know, the sky's the limit for Brunson. So it's really been great to see. Um, the Knicks will take on the heat starting on Sunday. So, that's certainly a series to keep your eye on. I, I call it a throwback series just because I <laughs> yeah. think we all know about those mm-hmm. Knicks rivalries. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's certainly a series to keep your eye on. Um, but transitioning to the Western Conference, uh, the Phoenix Suns, the Los Angeles Clippers series concluded. Uh, Phoenix won that series 4-1. to one. There's a lot to unpack in this series. Uh, Paul George didn't play the entire series. Kawhi Leonard. Played only two of the five games. It was now announced today. I don't know if you guys saw. He has a torn meniscus. Uh, mm-hmm. He should be ready by the start of the season. But mm-hmm. um, Russell Westbrook shouldered a lot of the offensive load for the Clippers. And unfortunately, the Clippers, I think, have grown accustomed, especially the role players. They've gotten accustomed to playing without these two guys. But they simply just didn't have enough, I think, in the end. I think Russell Westbrook was a, a surprise emergence for their offense and their defense uh, with the energy that he brought in the scoring. Uh, he averaged 23.8 points per game in this series, and he led them in scoring. But I want to talk to you guys a little bit about this Suns team. Obviously, I don't think things have come together as quickly as people thought they would with this Suns team, but it was still, I think, overall an impressive series. And I think Booker, KD, and the rest of this Suns team showed out and Obviously, they're trying to get to the finals, but what have you? What did you guys see from this team in the series against the Clippers? And also, too, what do you guys think about the Clippers? I liked what I saw from Russell Westbrook. I loved watching Russell Westbrook, and it was really cool to kind of see everybody rally behind Russell Westbrook because he was getting so much hate when he was with the Lakers, and even like during the end of the regular season with the Clippers. But to see it kind of that reemergence from him and the renaissance of fans swarming back to him was really cool. But I want to talk about Devin Booker because there had been a lot of talk coming into the playoffs about Booker being the best second option and the best number two in the NBA. Watch this team play. He's not the number two. Yep. He is the guy on this team. Kevin Durant is the number two on this team. Does that mean Kevin Durant's not the best player on this team? Not necessarily. But it means that Devin Booker is the guy. And this team is going to go as far as Devin Booker takes them. They have other pieces. Chris Paul can make plays in the clutch. I mean, that three he threw up when he thought the ball didn't hit the rim in, I don't remember what game that was, game four maybe, and was nuts. But Devin Booker is the guy for this team, and they're going to have another very fun series. I mean, every series right now that's coming up in the next round is going to be a blast. I love watching Devin Booker play. It's just been fantastic to see him. I was thinking when KD got traded there just how the power ranking is going to match up because 
everywhere Katie goes, he's been the number one guy, and he's just been leading the teams. He kind of led Golden State, even though Curry was there. I mean, I just love to see how like Devin Booker has taken over and been able to lead his own team. I mean, Chris Paul's been great. He's been able to just diss the rock. He hasn't been scoring as much, but he's kind of just a facilitator you were talking about earlier, AJ. But um, I just love watching Devin Booker play. But, I mean, coming to the Clippers side, I just Westbrook's been playing fantastic, but he's not that high of a player, a high-caliber player to take over an entire roster. And just he's not like a Kevin Durant. He's not like a Steph Curry type of player to put up all those shots and score as much as score 40 a game. He's just not going to be able to do that with his at his current level. So, I mean... The Clippers need to stay healthy, and the Clippers need to kind of do more. So I didn't see them winning this series at all just because of the injuries. But um, shout out to the Suns. They've been playing really, really great, and I feel like they're going to go really, really far in this. Even though they haven't meshed a lot yet, you still have three all-star caliber players. So even if you don't mesh this season, you're still going to be fantastic and a threat to everybody you go up against. So, Yeah, I think I think Phoenix is they're a good team. Like They have two of the probably, I'd say, top 12 to 15 players in the league right now. And KD is just, he's probably the ultimate plug-and-play guy. I don't think there's a better one in the league. I don't think we've seen a better one in the last 20 years. Just super efficient. He'll get to his spots. He doesn't need much help. He's he's a pretty good defender. Like, he's just a really good player. I I don't know what the current record is, but it's something like 20 and 2 or something in his last however many games. Like, he's just... He's a winning basketball player, and this team will – it'll be a very fun series next series, Denver and Phoenix. I, I Yeah, I think this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, I talked a little bit about the improvement of Brunson and adding different elements to his game, and I think the same applies to KD, you know, and I think that's really been overlooked. But despite all the injuries and all the adversities he's been through, Kevin Durant has continued to evolve – as a player and as a scorer, as a defender, and there's always a new wrinkle to his game, and it's been really fascinating and great to see, especially with all of the different settings that he's been in. Um, like you said, he's he's the ultimate plug-and-play guy. He's He was inserted into the Suns lineup, and it's been seamless, and that's a testament, I think, not only to his scoring ability and his, and his talent, but also to his selflessness. You know, for a guy to average 30 points for the entirety of his career mostly and always be that kind of guy but to also be able to fit within any offense you put him in it's remarkable um and I don't think there are many guys in NBA history that you can say that about but for Booker you know I was asking myself earlier you know when are people gonna begin to give him the credit he's due Mm -hmm. Devin Booker is phenomenal I don't I've never, especially, I mean, going back to last year, I I don't and have never really understood, uh, I don't want to say the hate that people have dished towards him, but, I mean, you talk about guys, you talk about complete guys, guys who have the ability to do everything. Booker's that guy. I mean, he's he's not only a three-level scorer, but he's a willing playmaker. He's really improved in that aspect of his game. He has the ability to facilitate now. He's a great ball handler. He's really improved in that aspect of his game. I mean, he has really worked and evolved into being, I think, one of the most well-rounded players in the league and one of the most well-rounded players that we've seen. Um, Comparison-wise, you know, I'm not saying he plays like this guy, but he reminds me of him. I see a lot of Brandon Roy and Devin Booker and, like, prime Brandon Roy. And Kobe Bryant talked about it in Roy's career he said Roy was the most difficult player he had to guard because he said Roy had no weaknesses. 
And, I mean, with Booker, when you look at him, when he has the ball in his hands, there's nothing that he can't do. And so, like like I said, he had, he had a phenomenal series. He averaged over 37 points in the series, shot 60% from the field, and over 46% from the three-point line, 85% from the free throw line. You know, like I said, I, I don't know what else more this guy can do uh, to – I guess garner the respect of the haters, but obviously Phoenix is gonna have to win. I think that's that's the last step. I think individually he's done everything he could do, but with Kevin Durant on this roster now, winning is more important than ever. Um, speaking of winning, uh, the Suns will take on the Denver Nuggets in the conference semifinals, who defeated uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. This was an I don't want to say an odd series, but it kind of was. But at the same time, though, I personally have always felt that the Minnesota Timberwolves, I, I think this just exemplifies and shows that the Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns pairing was a failed experiment. Um, maybe it maybe it can turn around as soon as next season, but I don't believe it will. But I, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, you guys a little bit about this series. You know, Denver obviously hasn't had their full roster. Tim, you and I talked about this at length in our last episode. Um, it was interesting to see them operate against this Timberwolves team because I feel like with Jokic being the playmaker that he is, he's able to create from any spot on the floor. But I was really intrigued at how Aaron Gordon initiated a lot of the offense in this series. He was the one bringing the ball up a lot of the time. And oftentimes the play doesn't start until Jokic gets the ball in his hands. But it was interesting to me and and how they utilize Gordon in this series. Obviously, he isn't the best shooter. You know, we talked a little bit about him. He's a bit of a tweener, but I thought it was interesting to put him at that point guard spot to have him bring up the ball, initiate the offense, and then, you know, maybe hand the ball off to Jokic and then get into a, a screen and roll or get the ball to Murray who would – and then go set a back screen for Jokic, you know, things like that. There are a lot of different things that they're doing, but I want to talk to you guys a little bit about what you've seen from Denver and – how do you think they match up against Phoenix in this next series? Tim, I'll start with you. Uh, right now I see a Denver team that I really like. I mean, they have the back-to-back MVP. Jamal Murray, he's been he's had some good performances this playoffs. I think he can be – I think he's the X factor in the next series. I think they will only go as far as Jamal Murray will take them. I know that sounds odd considering he's not the best player on the team, but he'll need to score. He'll need to be efficient. He'll need to – maybe take some uh, defense assignments on Booker at times. I think he he will be a, a big key to how they perform in the next series. And I think they also need some, like if Michael Porter Jr. can, like we know he's not going to distribute much, but if he can, <laughs> if no, he can get, all. if he's hitting his shots, I think then they're a really scary team with, an underrated amount of experience, I think. I think the whole kind of notion of that they don't, that they're kind of failures in the playoffs. I mean, they have a lot of games in the playoffs in these last three or four years. So I think I think they will have a good shot against Phoenix next series. AJ, you said that um, the Phoenix has like a more of a chip on the shoulder with having to win, I think. This year, I think Denver has more of the chip to have to, have to win this year. Mm-hmm. They have most of the pressure because they've had I mean, Denver, Denver has a bunch or Jokic? Of Denver as well as Jokic. I really? mean, he's had a lot of – I mean, he's won two different MVPs in a row, and he's been in that running a couple of times in the last couple of years. So I think they have more of, like, the pressure on their shoulders to actually win more than 
Phoenix. But I mean, Denver actually has a chance this year, in my opinion. They're playing really, really well. But I do, I do need their um their uh, backup players and their different players like Michael Porter Jr. to actually maybe pass the ball or um score <laughs> twenty points a game like he does during the regular season. But I mean, they've had a really good out this year. They've won a lot of games. They play really, really well. I just think I need to kinda lock in and run offense. I think I like running the I like them running their offense through Aaron Gordon. That's kind of a real smart way in my opinion to like get the pressure off of Jokic because he's always getting guarded, double teamed and guarded really, really heavily. He takes a lot of attention. So having Aaron Gordon running the offense and then maybe swinging it out to him, passing it to Murray and having Jokic run a little motion, I think it kinda works in a way. So I think that's a really good offensive plan in their way to not have Jokic touch the ball every single time or take the ball up. I just think it's kind of a smart way for them to run their office and that could lead that lead them into the finals and lead them into the conference finals as well. I want to talk about the depth of this Denver team too. I mean, the emergence of KCP this year for them. Obviously, KCP's always been solid. Um, yes. But yes. and he's always been underrated. But he has been so good for this Denver team. Even when he's not scoring that often, he has a knack for hitting big shots late in games for them, and he's just been good overall this season and I think him as well as Bruce Brown are going to be able to give them some extra pieces and then obviously you have Jokic and those guys the Suns best bet might be to try and allow Michael Porter to shoot himself and the team out of games because he can do that but that's a you're playing with fire there because if he gets hot you're losing by 30 so it's really a tough spot I've been very confused hearing people talk about the West because all they talk about is Phoenix and Golden State and the Lakers and Memphis, but nobody's talking about Denver. Denver is the number one seed for a reason. This is a very good basketball team. These aren't the Indiana Pacers of the early 2010s number one seeds, where like you knew they weren't the best team in the conference. Or the Utah Jazz of last right. year, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like You knew those teams weren't the top teams in the conference. Yes. But... At the end of the day, this Denver team is legit. And Minnesota is not great, but Denver dismantled them with ease, um, with the exception of Anthony Edwards being really good at the whole basketball thing. (laughs) But um, this is a good Denver team, and that series with Phoenix is going to be a lot of fun to see some of those matchups and kind of deep dive into it, but... I think the one thing Denver is going to struggle with is guarding the tandem of Booker and Durant because Denver is not a very good team defense team, but they're not a good, they don't have like a ton of lockdown guys. Individually, they struggle. And so how are you going to do when you have a spot that someone's got a lockdown Booker? I mean, you're putting KCP there. I mean, you're giving up a little bit of size. Are you trying to lock him down? Maybe Bruce Brown off the bench. I mean, your best defensive spot might be Bruce Brown and then trying to have maybe Gordon guard Durant. Like, you're not putting MPJ on him. Yeah. And you can't put Jokic on him. Like, Mm -hmm. who in the world's guarding Kevin Durant? Well, I think, you know, the thing is with Durant, Durant is going to get his. You have to find a way to account for everyone else. Like, there's, I don't, Durant has seen every possible thing that you could throw at him at this point. I don't think there's anything on earth besides him just having an off night that's going to stop him from getting his. But I want to talk to you all a little bit about Denver because, you know, Tim and I, we talked. I do believe this team is legit, and I agree with you guys. I do think, though, 
like we've talked about, there is a lot at stake, especially for Jokic. I think with him being a two-time MVP, with him being in the running for the MVP this year, this is a bit a very, very important postseason for this team. And I think at the very least, getting to the conference finals is I think at the very least you have to get there. Um now that's a tall task against this talented Phoenix team. But at some point, you know, I think you have to Sorry guys, Jalen Carter was just Selected by the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, After the Bears traded out of nine to move back a pick when they could have taken Carter. But whatever. That's weird. weird. Yeah. (laughs) But going back to it, though, um, this Denver team, like I said, this is a pivotal year for them. I think a little more might be at stake than this Phoenix team, honestly, because I, I think this Phoenix team has a couple of years left. Um, in terms of contending. But with Denver, especially with Jokic, and I, I hate to bring this into it, but legacy and everything, he's got to find a way to get, like I said, to at least get to the conference finals. Otherwise, I don't know how much longer we can continue to call them a legit basketball team. Because being great in the regular season is exactly that, being great in the regular season. Yeah, I just... I think it will be such a battle of just good basketball. Yes. Like both these teams kind of they play the right way. They're they got guys that can do multiple things. I just I think it's gonna be very 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 fun series. No, this will certainly be <clears throat> at the very least high level basketball from both sides. You know, the Nuggets are I think have one of the most I think unique offenses in terms of how they run things that we've seen at least within our generation. Arguably, having arguably the the greatest passing big man of all time certainly helps yeah. that. But I think in the way they allow him to operate, you know, Jokic, the Nuggets can run the same set in five times in a row and get five completely different shots. And that's a testament to Jokic. And I think also his symmetry and um, chemistry with Murray, Gordon, and the rest of this team. You know, I think Jokic sees the floor the way point guards do. And he, in and, and a lot of ways, is the point guard of this team. The play doesn't start until the ball gets in his hands, uh, which is also why throwing Gordon in as the facilitator and allowing him to bring the ball up, it throws a wrench in some things that they do. Because not only do you have a 6'9 guy like Gordon bringing the ball up, but now you have to also answer to Jokic receiving the ball from wherever in the world he's going to be and and Gordon moving off the ball where I think he's most dangerous within their offense and Murray also moving off the ball which I think he's proven it where I think he's proven to be most dangerous within this offense as well but that'll certainly be an interesting series keep your eye on that one another series that you definitely have to keep your eye on is Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings we talk about high level basketball there's been a lot of that in this series uh the Warriors currently lead this one Three to two, there was a lot going on in this series. Obviously, it's it's been a ba- a battle back and forth one, and, and game six will be at the Chase Center. The Kings have their back against the wall. 
De'Aaron Fox has a fractured finger. Still played pretty well in their last game. I believe he had 23 points. I was most impressed at how he shot the ball. I, I didn't know if he'd be able to shoot the ball. Um, he drilled a three-pointer at the start of that game and, and really didn't look back and looked, for the most part, really comfortable. Um, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this series. Zach, I'll start with you. What a series this has been. This has been my favorite series to watch, um, along with the other Western Conference one we haven't talked about yet. But this series has been a blast. Draymond was phenomenal last night and has been really good coming off the bench. And I said it right after it happened. I don't know if I was talking to you, AJ, or if I was talking to somebody else, but I said that the Draymond suspension is going to do one of two things. It's either going to kill them in this series or it's going to jumpstart them. And boy, did it jumpstart them. They have been so good the last few games. Game six, Clay, coming. Good luck, Sacramento. I mean, it's going to be tough. You're, this team doesn't lose at home. They lost one game in San Francisco last year in the playoffs, and it was in the finals. They are so talented and so good at home. You just notice a difference in the way they play. Their intensity is different. Their defense is different at home. That was a must-win game last night when we were record or from when we were recording this for Sacramento and they weren't able to get it done and Clay Thompson came up big Steph Curry came up big Draymond Green had 21 points they said on the broadcast last night so you guys might know this but do you know the last time Draymond Green scored 20 plus points in the postseason game was it game 7 2016 Mm-mm. no nope I don't know the exact game I just know the season you guys got guesses I don't have a good one. I don't have a good guess either, no. 2013-14 season. Wow. So the 2014 wow. postseason was the last time Draymond scored 20-plus in a game. In a win? In a postseason game. Just a game, not a win at all. According to the broadcast. Okay. okay. I uh, Let me preface that. According to, I believe Brian Anderson was calling the game last in night. In a postseason game. Yes, in a postseason game. 2013-14 season, Draymond Green. That was a... Really good performance from him. Him coming off the bench has been huge. But I mentioned the guy I wanted to talk about earlier. I kind of alluded to him when I was talking about Mitchell Robinson. Kevon Looney has been the difference maker in this series. Yes. I mean, just offensive rebound after offensive rebound after offensive rebound. He's been so big. And another 20-plus rebound game for him last night. He had 20 rebounds in the third quarter. He's got 73 rebounds in five games. It's nuts. I mean, he has just continued to put on a show and make big plays, and that's really going to help them. I don't know that they're going to be able to rebound like that in the next series if the Lakers come out of it, Um, but I'll get to my take on that series in a minute. But this is a fun series, beautiful basketball, beautiful offense. If you like defense, this is not your series. Go watch Knicks-Cavs, I guess, if you want to see people miss a bunch of shots. But... This series is so much fun to watch. De'Aaron Fox is a dog, and nobody better forget that. Fox is so good, and no matter what happens in this series, this Kings team has been a blast, and they're going to be fun to watch for years to come. Yeah, and, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about this these offenses that we've seen. You know, there are a lot of people around the world that say NBA basketball isn't what it used to be or it, or it doesn't. It's not good basketball. You know, people are jacking up three-pointers and there's flopping. And, of course, some some of those things are excessive. But when you look at teams like the Nuggets and this Warriors-King series, you can see that good basketball is well and alive still. And I think what it is, honestly, is that players have become way more skilled and they're way more creative. And there aren't necessarily a lot of set plays. There are a lot of sets that guys are playing out of. 
And when you have guys like Clay and Steph and Jokic and and Booker, I'll put the Suns in the same category. When you have guys who can who are capable of doing anything and everything with the ball in their hands, like I said, it opens up a different dimension out of your sets. And so this has been really good basketball, like Sir Denick said, and it's it's been great to see. And I mean, the emergence of De'Aaron Fox is been terrific. We talked about the importance of building around a guy and how it's sort of a two-way street between a franchise. You know, when you draft a guy, obviously you have a vision for him and you have hopes for him, but you have to do your part in saying, well, if this guy becomes the guy that I expect him to be, what am I going to do to build around him? And I think, like I said, both sides have done what they're supposed to do and they're reaping the benefits of it, and they will continue to do so for years to come. 100%. 100%. If you just take a look at the Kings for last season grabbing Malika Monk, that's just a fantastic way for him to come off the bench. He scored like 37 or something the last couple of games ago, and it was just fantastic for him to come off the bench and actually do that type of production. Just like him accompanying De'Aaron Fox has been fantastic. Obviously, De'Aaron's been putting up crazy numbers, being able to facilitate the rock really, really well, and being able to just score and being an awesome scorer. To me, that's why this game has really been my favorite of the playoffs so far. I've just been watching these two teams duke it out and battle it out on like a scoring front. It's been not a lot of defenses being played, not like high-level defense, you could say, but just the offense has been fantastic, and that's why you come to watch these two teams play. And that's why I'm excited to go see the Warriors if they do win this series and then go play the Lakers, and if they win that series as well, they're going to be able to just clash with like an offensive or more of a defensive type of team. The Lakers are pretty big, and they have bigger players, so I think that'll be able to be a fantastic series to watch. Lakers still need one more win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and guys also, too, guys are defending in this series, but the offense has just been so good. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of people are kind of writing off this Kings team. They were like, oh, this was a good run. You weren't supposed to be here. I mean, it's game six. Warriors are up 3-2. It's it's pretty much over, right? I, I like, game four, they only lost by one at home. I thought the series, like, there was no way the Kings would win at, or be able to compete, even compete with Golden State at Golden State. But I think... I don't know. I kind of like their chances in their next game, in this game six. I think if De'Aaron, I think the key is Sabonis because Sabonis has been, he's been all right. He hasn't been like, people are saying he's probably going to be an all NBA player. I don't think he can, I don't think he's played to that level so far, but I think he can, if he can in a game six, maybe the Kings have a shot and then game seven, anything can happen. So I think if this series goes to seven, I like the Kings' chances to yeah. advance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just don't like the Kings' chances to win in San Francisco tomorrow night. It's yeah. going to be a tough task, but I, I think it'll be a game. I think mm-hmm. there'll be a Oh, close, I do too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every game in this series, with the exception of, I guess, game three, yeah. Yeah. has been close. And I think we're going to see a similar thing. But I also wouldn't be surprised if we see a a vintage Golden State game yeah. where it's really close in the first half. And, and then Golden State order. comes out in the third quarter and just runs them away. Yeah. Like, I could very much see that. I think it's kind of like, it honestly, it depends on how Clay Thompson plays. Because if it's yes. game six, Clay, and he's just <laughs> oh, like, yeah, he's, unconscious. Taking, he's taking like only 12 dribbles through three quarters, but has like 37 points, like, then it's. Dude's going to go for 37 in the third quarter, like yeah. he did that one game oh, a few yeah. years it's, ago. <laughs> it's scary, but I think. They can play with them. I think it's they've I would, already taken two games. I think it will be a battle in Game Six. Yeah, they can score. That's the thing about yeah, the Kings is like they will always score. They can score, but at the same time, 
they don't guard anybody. They yes. have played better defense in this series than they have this season. Mm-hmm. But they're still not a good defensive team. And when you're not a good defensive team and you have so many playmakers and scorers on the other side, I mean, we haven't even mentioned really Andrew Wiggins' return yep. to the yeah. team this year or this series. He hasn't been able to hit a three-pointer to save his life in this series, and he's still contributing consistently. If they can get him knocking down threes, the Warriors are going to be tough. But we've said that about every team in the West. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, oh, yeah. they're all really good that are left. I could see any of these teams in the West coming out. The only team in the West, honestly, one through eight that I couldn't have seen coming out of the West was Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, everyone else had and, a shot. Right. Yeah. I mean, because the Clippers at the beginning of that series, if Kawhi doesn't go down, they might have won that series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they looked in control in that series yeah. until Kawhi went down. Mm-hmm. I think Keegan Murray could be a very... I, mm-hmm. for, to me, I think he's the X factor for this upcoming game for the Kings. Yeah. He, I was really impressed with his aggressiveness at the start of the last game. To me, it was very obvious that the coaching staff had talked with him and told him, hey, we're going to need you to be a lot more assertive in this series. Um, we talked a little bit about Keegan Murray earlier this year. He hasn't, I feel like, gotten a lot of love from the national media, but he's quietly put together a really solid rookie season. But, you know, he's one of the more polished guys. I, You know, when he was drafted by the Kings, I remember telling someone, and I think I said this on an earlier podcast, I felt like, he was a lot like Ray Allen coming out of UConn. Not in how he played, but in terms of this is a guy you know at the very least is going to be a very solid pro. Mm-hmm. And he's been that so far, and I think he has a chance to be a lot more. But they're going to need him in this next game. And I know it's a tall task to ask a rookie to come in and, and play a big game, you know, and in a game where your season is on the line. But I think he's more than capable of doing that. And I think if there's a team and a franchise – that's built up enough game six karma. I think it's Sacramento, obviously, 20 years <laughs> ago. They had that uh, the blunder against the Lakers. I think if anybody needs a whistle, it's them. Hopefully they can get it. I think it would be fun to see this series go. I, I feel like the series deserves seven. Every game's been pretty close. I think it should go It seven. does. As someone who, like, I like watching the Warriors play, and also I really want to see either the Warriors-Grizzlies or the Warriors-Lakers yeah. series. Oh, yeah. I really hope this doesn't go seven uh, because I don't know that I think the Warriors win another game in Sacramento. Um, and I just I want to see LeBron Curry. I want to mm-hmm. see the Warriors versus the Grizzlies if the Grizzlies make it there. Like, those would just be really fun games to watch. But the Kings advancing would be fun mm-hmm. too. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's the Kings. They've been the best story in basketball this season. And this series has proved that they belong. And imagine the difference in how close things were. One game goes differently. Sacramento is playing a Clipper squad without Kawhi Leonard. And you're looking at the Kings probably advancing here. And then you have Golden State Phoenix in the first round, which could be, which could be a conference finals matchup. So like, but this could be an NBA final. Like the way that the games are playing, Mm -hmm. This series could be an NBA Finals. Yeah. yeah, It's just been so intense every game. These teams are separated by like an hour and a half drive. I mean, it's not a, it's not, the rivalry is there. And it's, it's brewing. I mean, Draymond and Sabonis getting into it. They were booing Draymond like crazy. And he still dropped 21 and 7. They are 
going to go back and forth, and I'm really excited to see what happens. I'm glad that that's not the 10:30 game tomorrow night, because I have to work Saturday, <laughs> and so that uh, that Memphis Lakers game six tomorrow is going to be a tough one for me to be up for, but I'll make it work. <laughs> you said it best. You know, this is the last thing I'll touch on, but the Kings have proven that they belong, and regardless of oh, yeah. whatever the outcome will be of this series. This is the ultimate confidence booster for this team heading into next season. And, you know, just going into the offseason. When you talk about... Sorry, NFL draft. The Lions are selecting Jameer Gibbs at 12. Ew. The running back from Alabama. Oh, my God. At 12. That's a... Whoa. They trade back from six. And Christian Gonzalez, (laughs) the corner from Oregon, is still on the board. And they decide to take Jameer Gibbs. That's a Detroit Whoa. thing right there. I mean, I I like Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs is going to be good, but mm-hmm. at 12? We just signed the right At back. 12. I mean, Jameer, they pick again at 18. Jameer yeah. Gibbs would have been there at 18. Jameer mm-hmm. Gibbs might have been there at 34 yeah. that they just got in <laughs> that trade. I am. Really I don't know. Sorry, guys. I know you guys are here for the NBA talk, I am and really... all of these picks are old, but... I am really, 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 really hoping they know something that we don't. Like, I, uh, that's hurting yeah. my heart right now. I can't. Just thinking about that. Also, what does that mean for DeAndre Swift? Like, is he done? We're gonna have three different running backs. I mean, that's just gonna be. And you got Montgomery. Yeah, mm-hmm. Swift's got to be gone. What's right? Going yeah. on, He's got to be gone. You guys will get to lines. laugh at me when the Patriots either trade back at fourteen or take go Pats. Or they'll take some. <laughs> Go back. some I mean, they still, have, they still have Mac Jones, so I don't really care. Yeah, no. They'll take uh, offensive yeah, linemen sticks. from like North Dakota again, and I don't understand this. I typical Lions man. Wow. I I don't understand. For now, Jeez, I did just get a text from uh, somebody that is a Bears fan that I was talking with, and they were complaining about their pick, and I said they could be the Lions, and he said, "Hey, at least it wasn't a tight end this time." Meyer over this, wouldn't you? I or mean, Kincaid? probably, but just like history wise, yeah. the Lions always tend to draft a tight end here. Well, he's for no got reason. 18. It's I, I, I like the pick. I just don't at 12. I just though, don't that's, get that's, it, though. Yeah, I mean, I was watching the pregame show of the draft and hearing uh, they were doing their on college game day, they were doing prop bets. And they asked all the guys on the panel over or under one and a half running backs taken in the first round. And is Jameer Gibbs going to go in the first round? And I looked at my TV and I said, under. No one's taking Jameer Gibbs in the first round. Welp. Why are they so happy? I don't know, but the Lions draft room loves it. They were very happy Jameer Gibbs <laughs> fell to them at 12. I don't know. Why are we so... They, they know something we don't, 100%. They I, know something we I don't. think I would love... Do you have a crystal ball? I would I'd love hope. for people, by the, the way... I guarantee you it's not like, a frame. I would love if people come back to this episode and listen to it and Jameer Gibbs goes nuts and hear us all complaining and no. laugh at us, but I just don't see it. No, I'm, I love Jameer Gibbs, yeah. but why at 12? I, yeah, and I'm, right it's, that's the thing. I, I, two more I'd, picks like, have two more picks. I'd like the pick, I, but 12 is, is the most perplexing Here's thing. Here's what I will say, mind. though. If Christian Gonzalez somehow falls to 18 and they still get Christian Gonzalez, I'll like it because then they should have just taken them backwards. But if Christian Gonzalez gets to 18, love it. With our luck, he's going to get picked. If he next. doesn't, I I don't know. Like, wow. Okay. Wow. The Lions. Either, I mean, either way though. Did something. You you could have taken you could have taken Gonzalez now, and nice. and Gibbs would have likely still been. Maybe they'll just take it. Will Levis at eighteen. Because <laughs> he's still on the board. Oh, <laughs> uh, I forgot about him. I hope you guys that are listening to this for basketball love our football takes. By the way. <laughs> 
Um, one we're thing, multi-sport. We're we're well-rounded we're well, here. We're two-dimensional, not just one. We're two-dimensional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, let's take it back even further. So there was a game where Draymond had over 20 points uh, in a playoff game, but it was a loss. Do you want me to read off the stat line, or do you want me to get, or do you guys want to guess it? You can read off the stat line. I'm very confused as to why they said that on the broadcast yesterday. I think maybe it was in a win. Like, but that like was the they most said it during the middle win. of the game. Interesting. Like he, the game wasn't over, so they hadn't won yet. He had 32 points, 15 rebounds, and nine assists in Game Seven of the 2016 Finals. Oh. That's right, because he was drilling triples like oh, 11 for again. 15. That's insane. Dude was going nuts from three, and <sighs> like Kyrie just buried them. Um, that Draymond doesn't get to shoot he's 15 in shots 16, in a game. Yeah. He's in mm-hmm. 2016 still. He, he was buried with that loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was when he called Kevin Durant from the parking lot. Yeah, <laughs> said I just dropped 32 and we yeah. still couldn't we win. We need some so. help. We need to get some Draymond Green some help on this war. Yeah. Oh my Draymond goodness. Green is the Draymond needs team. help. Yeah. Not uh, not, not Curry. Brothers. Not not <laughs> Clay. Draymond needs help. Yeah. <laughs> he's the catalyst, man. He is. Transitioning back into basketball. Um, <laughs> that was basketball. That was ba- no, no, we it spun was, it back. Real it basketball. Guys, Transitioning back into my, real basketball rather still... than Draymond Green in yeah. the 2016 finals, which was a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, if we're all fever dream. 93 89. A fever dream. I. That's a good one. Oh I God. mean, it was... I enjoyed that take. Yeah. <laughs> what a time. Tim, can we get a score update on this Celtics game? It's so a halftime still, right? 68-67 at halftime. Uh, current thoughts right now. Who leads? Boston. Boston's okay. up one. Uh, John Collins is hitting three-pointers. We might be toast. Scary scary hours. They just can't defend right now. Jalen Brown is the only reason the Celtics are in the game because Jalen Brown just decided to drill like three triples in a row at yeah, one point. Yeah, he has, he has 18. Tatum has 16. So it's they're leading from the front, which is good. Uh, but Trey Young has 25. Don't deal them just half. yet. And DeJounte has zero. I mean, they so. had to move Janet Jackson. They might as well play yeah. the game seven. They might as well show out. Honestly. I am, yeah, this is going to be a stressful thing. The question is, though, did the people that bought Janet Jackson tickets get tickets to game six? I'm guessing the answer is no, but that's unfortunate for them. Yeah, I mean, they had the... They yeah, I think it's very that funny night. that they double booked <laughs> yeah, right. it. Like that's just yeah. such a. I also will say, almost certainly that concert was booked like months ago. But like, oh, how how do you say like, oh yeah, we'll do it in April when you know that's going to be a first round matchup? I guess they didn't have that. I I guess they had zero. Faith they don't have in. the actual dates though, or like when who's going to be home, who's not, all of that stuff. No, like, but yeah, man, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, this is um, this is a tough one. I feel like it would have been a lot easier if you just closed it out at home uh, in Game Five, but no. Trey said no, no, no. Yeah, let's just have Trey Young walk into a three. Tim, I have a question. Yes. You and I talked, and I openly asked you what you thought about Missoula and this being his first year as a head coach. Has there been any? Has have these last few games given you any doubt about? him i mean no if you look down the stretch it was just a lot of execution it was just a lot of like bad turnovers mm-hmm. and like he was calling timeouts like yeah. it wasn't you drew up some decent plays like i don't know i I, th- think I think they've just faltered i yeah i think like this is what they do like it could have <laughs> been a lot like they're like they just had a chance to like close it out in five and have it be uh it they had it it could be easy for them but it won't be easy for them. It's never easy for them. Like there's so many games where it's like, oh, if you just win this game, you make your life so much easier. But no, 
we traveled to Atlanta for game six and we're up one and hopefully we can close it out. Hopefully we can play some defense because I really don't want to go to a game seven. I'd love to see Atlanta <laughs> clutch this up, honestly, just to see the face, the look on your face, Tim. I would if you be don't get it out of the first round, that would be just so great happy. to see. Yeah. yeah, give me a give me a Heat Hawks rematch in yeah. the conference finals. <laughs> we saw oh, one in the yeah. That was so crazy. One in the plan. I didn't give it think to about me. that at that all. That would be so insane. Dead. That would be the first time ever. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody has ever uh, made it out of the play into the, the second round until the Heat. So, oh my god, it's not happening. Let me let me clear that up. It's not happening. There's you never no know. Atlanta's beating Philly if they can get through this one. Yeah, but they'd have to. I and mean, I really, are the Celtics really going to blow a three-one lead? I hope not. Like, <laughs> really, they're down two right now. Through like, yeah, but they still a whole nother game in Boston. Like, I'll be back. Maybe I'll spend four hundred bucks for tickets. For tickets at the well. very top row of the yeah, of the garden. Those leads. <laughs> I hope not though. Yeah, we'll Get it done tonight. Get it done by the end of this podcast. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Derek, do you have anything to add about this Celtics Hawk series? Um. I'm just excited to see how Trey Young just got electrified in that last game. He was fantastic, and I just kind of want to see him keep doing that and keep playing the way he is. Don't trade and, him just yet. Yeah, <laughs> we were talking about that last week's episode. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You kind of imagine Trey Young leads the Hawks on a playoff run after all of the trade him talk. He heard what you said, AJ, and now he's just gonna. Um, you too. He heard what you said, and now he's gonna nice balling out. So I mean, if he sends the Celtics home, that'd be fantastic to see. Shout out courtside convo legend, by the way, Carter Landis and the Atlanta Hawks. Yes. <laughs> one, of the, one of the OGs, well. Carter Landis. Yes. Zach, you're also an OG. We didn't get to talk about it, but please tell them. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to be back on courtside convo. I was uh, actually along with Carter Landis. And Bobby Zephyro is the one who uh, originally hosted it, but was on the very first episode of Courtside Combo uh, a couple of years ago, and it was a lot of fun, and I'm glad to be back. I love talking NBA. Um, haven't been able to be here in a while. Um, it's been a little over a year since I've been on Courtside Combo, but I love it, uh, and the playoffs are so much fun, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to be on anything the night of, but AJ and I, we were talking, I will 1 million percent be back for draft time. Um, I love the NBA draft. Uh, the NFL draft is a lot of fun. We've been watching it here, but the NBA draft is like my thing. Yes. And so yes. I'm pumped for it. Unfortunately, with my internship, I have a game that night that I'm going to be broadcasting, so I won't be able to be watching it live, which will be kind of tragic. But uh, hopefully the Falmouth Commodores will get a win, and that'll soothe my pain. <laughs> <laughs> and when Minyama will go to the Pistons. Yep. Hopefully. Who's Falmouth playing that night? Let's get some Cape Cod talk. I'm they are gonna... going to play. They're playing at Bourne that night. Oh, okay. And going so, towards the bridge. Yep. So <laughs> we're headed to face the Braves. So we'll see how it goes. Nice. But we can get plenty of Cape Cod talk at other times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. 70-70 right now as an update. Trey Young just committed two straight fouls. Maybe we can get him foul trouble. That's how we win. How many I mean, the problem is he had zero in the first half. Is it just two? So <laughs> but uh, yeah. the other thing <laughs> is you said hopefully they can wrap this up by the uh, end of the podcast. There's no way we have that much left to talk no, about. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It is 10 minutes left in the third quarter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have actually our final series to talk about. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies, Los Angeles Lakers. I feel like I've been saying this about every series, but there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to talk about. Um, before I get into any of my thoughts, 
I'm going to defer to you guys and hear what you all have, what you all think about this series. Uh, the Lakers are currently leading 3-2, um, to two, and the next game will take place tomorrow at 10.30 Eastern. And, uh, Zach, I will start with you. If the Lakers lose game six, they lose the series. Yes. 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 Um, I agree. It's over. I wasn't sure that was going to be that, like— well accepted of a take, but uh, <laughs> no, I said the same. I said yeah. the same oh, yeah. thing earlier. But if this series goes back to Memphis, I don't think the Lakers win it. Um, but I think Luke Kennard being questionable for tomorrow night's game is a big piece. Uh, Kennard's been really good, and he's obviously a sharpshooter. Desmond Bain is been really good the last two games for Memphis. Jaw's been solid. Um, he was really good in Game Four. Uh, was solid in Game Five. They need to come out and play well. And they need to be able to shut down the other pieces not named Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And that's what they did well in Game 5. That's what they did well in Game 2, although they did stop Davis in Game 2 as well. But if you are able to shut down those other pieces, AD and Bron are going to get theirs. I mean, Bron's going to do what he's going to do. AD's going to do what he's going to do. But if you can shut down the other guys, if you can stop a Jared Vanderbilt or a... Austin Reeves, which is crazy that I'm saying those two names there, (laughs) ahead of D'Angelo Russell, who they've been better than him in this series. And Rui Hachimura as well. Also, I just, I love Jared Vanderbilt. I love that trade. (laughs) I love what he gives to them. He's such a good two-way player and really has helped spark their their success. But people are talking about the Lakers and have been in this playoffs like they're a seven seed. Like, it's so crazy they can make this run. And they're going to make a run of 17. Not thinking about the fact that since the trade deadline, this is the second best team in basketball, record-wise. Since they remade their team, the only team with a better record than them, I will say, is no longer in the playoffs, but is the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Lakers can play at this level. They're not a Cinderella team. This isn't some David versus Goliath story. I mean, these are two heavyweights going at it. And I'm really excited to see that game if I can keep my eyes open until 1 a.m. when that game ends. <laughs> I'm really excited to see Memphis and L.A. I mean, I'm a big Lakers fan this year. I wasn't really high up on them coming into the playoffs because they they did catch a little win at the end of the season, but they weren't really playing good all year. So they kind of were just – people were really, really kind of <laughs> slandering the Lakers earlier in the year which just because they weren't really playing at the high level and LeBron was kind of having to carry the team. But the Lakers have been able to just go out, grab the players that they need to grab, grab a lot of two-way guys that can help them score. And they've been kind of just developing their young talent with Rui and um, Austin Reeves. They've been playing fantastic. So I think that's why uh, the Lakers tough thing this while. Went out tomorrow at 10.30. Really, really late game, like Zach said. But um, I just have them toughing this one out and winning it. It's going to be fantastic to watch. And they'll see the Lakers go on and maybe potentially play the Warriors. I'm gassed for that series. I'm interested to see how Memphis travels to LA. They didn't win a game in LA the first go around. Uh Dylan Brooks, like you he went by seventeen with the three fifty three for fifteen from Dylan Brooks. So like it doesn't really matter how bad he plays, you guys they can still overcome that. I mean, I've been really impressed with Desmond Bain. I've always liked him, but like 33 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists in a playoff game, like in an elimination game with your back against the wall, like that's a really good performance. Jaw had 31, 10, and 7. Like that, they can, they could, I think it's just like at Staples Center, I think that's a really tough thing to, or Crypto, sorry. 
Uh, I think it'll be very tough to win at crypto. It's still Staples Center. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Always and forever. Yes. 100%. 100%. So, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, you know, I feel like for the Sacramento and Golden State series, I think whoever wins the third quarter of this upcoming game will win or could win the game. I, and I believe the Warriors are obviously an explosive team. You can never count them out. But having watched that series closely, I think the third quarter will dictate could dictate the outcome of that game with this Grizzlies and Lakers series I think in a lot of ways whoever comes out and throws the first punch could set the tone for the rest of the game and possibly the series because like Zach said if the Lakers lose this game I think the series is lost I really do believe that so it'd be a tough way for Braun to go out in this season absolutely blowing a 3-1 lead to Memphis absolutely and it'd be tough I want to talk a little bit about D'Lo because I think I think this team in this series and this upcoming game will go as far as D'Lo is able to go. I really do. Like, we've talked about Braun and AD are going to get theirs, and I've also been really impressed with AD and his toughness and his resiliency. I think he's really embraced the battle with Jaron Jackson Jr., and I think they both have, have given it to each other um, and really battled in the paint, and that's been really great to see from two, I think, of the game's best big men. But... This is why they traded for D'Lo. They traded for him for games like these. They needed a guy who could create on the perimeter, a guy who could make plays outside of Bron, and who could also put Bron and AD in better positions to score and you know, just sort of alleviate the burden of those guys having to carry so much on offense. And I think D'Lo has done it in spurts. He's been really dynamic out of the pick and roll. He always has been. He's really great at picking his spots. You can't speed him up. You can't slow him down. He plays at his pace, but... They're going to need him. Um, he had 11 points and 10 assists in the last game, but I think he disappeared in some critical moments for them. And so they're really, really going to, I think, be relying on him in this following game. And, I mean, he's going to, similar to how AD has embraced the battle, I think, Jaron Jackson against Jaron Jackson Jr., I think he's really going to have to embrace this one against Ja and Desmond. You know, I think he's really going to have to take it to both of those guys and you know, also, too, it's it's tough, though, because D'Lo lives off of tough shots. He really does. That's And that's it's been that way for the entirety of his career. And at times, it's beautiful to watch, and at other times, it's incredibly frustrating. And so there's no changing that. They're going to live and die by it. He's going to live and die by it in this upcoming game. But like I said, I, I think he's the X factor for this Lakers team in this upcoming game which I think will dictate the rest of the series. I would definitely agree. Um, I think that it's going to be a really fun game to watch. Uh, Dylan Brooks did all that talking and has continued to do absolutely nothing in this series. <laughs> um, but Three for 15. It's, it's okay. The Grizzlies have found a way to work without it because that's what Dylan Brooks is there to do. <laughs> Dylan Brooks is on the team like a hockey enforcer. He's there to talk and to get inside the head of the other team. That's his role and that's what he does and he fills that well. Yeah. Do I like it? No. Um and I really want to like this Grizzlies team because I like Xavier Tillman. I like Jaron Jackson. I liked them from their time here, but it's so hard when Dylan Brooks is Dylan Brooks. But He's doing what they want him to do. You notice that nobody on this Grizzlies team has been upset at all with him about that, at least not publicly. I mean, those guys came out, Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman guaranteed 
that the team would be back for Game 7 in Memphis. Those guys talk. That's the culture that they're trying to build. They want to be the villains. The problem is, if you're the villains, you got to win something to be able to be the villain. Because otherwise, you just go out with a whimper, and you're like the side character that they fight at the beginning of the movie to start things off to show how good the hero is. Yeah, more importantly, I think they also haven't won anything yet. Right. You look Mm -hmm. at teams like Bad Boy Pistons, for example, they embraced being the villains once they started winning, seriously. You know, then it was time to embrace that. But I worry about Brooks because I think, personally from what I've seen, it worries me that he's leaning a little bit too much into this role. You know, and and it's been tough to see because I think Brooks, Brooks is so much more than just that. He's so much more than just this guy who's running around talking crazy. Like, Brooks was actually a, a guy that I was really intrigued with coming out of Oregon, you know, and... It's been great to see his ascension and to see how he's fit within this team. And, and I, I, I do like the role that he's been in. But most recently, you know, to tell you the truth, I've been I've been turned off by it. Like I said, I feel yeah. like he's leaning a little bit too far into this. And I think in, in a lot of ways, I think it's been toxic for this team. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when someone tries to give themselves a nickname and they're like, people call <laughs> me this. No one calls you that. <laughs> like you're trying to force something that's not there. Um, and the one thing I saw somebody mention this and I completely agree. The one thing that villains don't do is stop talking. And what did he do when they lost those two games in LA? Yep. He didn't talk to anybody. Now people comparing that to Giannis after game, uh, game four in that series, completely different. Giannis didn't talk to the media because Giannis needed to like get IV so he could live. Um, (laughs) cause dude needed to play in game five, obviously. And they still lost, but Dylan Brooks and, John Morant and the Grizzlies, they didn't talk to anybody after that game. You can't do all that talking. You can't be, I poke bears. And then when you get smacked by the bear, you hide in the corner. You can't do that. You have to show up. You have to talk. And if you're going to talk, talk. But don't talk and then hide when somebody says something back to you. Yeah. If you can't take it, don't say it. Yeah. It speaks volumes, I think, to, in a lot of ways, their immaturity and I think accountability is really an area in which this team needs to grow. You know, yes. like like you said, you know, the talking has, has been there. We've seen it. But first and foremost, you haven't won anything. And two, you have to be willing to take the criticism when you inevitably fail. Because the failure will come and it will happen. Um, but yeah, like Zach said, you, ha- you have to be able to back it up. But does anyone else have... Any more thoughts? Can we get one more final score update? Uh, I believe it is tied at eighty. It's tied at eighty-three. Six minutes left uh, in the third. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon just committed a stupid foul, and I think the Hawks are in the bonus. So that's not good. Uh, I hope we win. I really don't want a game seven. I, I I don't need that stress on my life, especially if the Bruins are going to a game seven. I can't have two game sevens at once. I you just think need... the Bruins go to seven? I don't, but they could, and that would be stressful, wow. and I don't want stress in my life. I just want I just, easy. honestly, for the vibes, I want the Panthers to win that series because Bruins have been so good, and I don't have, like, a hockey team that I really yeah. follow. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Vegas. I like Seattle, but uh, give me... Give me the Panthers talk. See, we can be three-dimensional tonight, <laughs> guys. We can get yeah. some hockey talk. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we got some baseball. baseball. That's four. We, and Cape oh, yeah. Cod, five. We're 4D. Mm-hmm. Going crazy. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> well, if no one has anything else to add, that will conclude uh, this 
episode, this edition of the Courtside Convo. Like I said, this is our final episode of the semester. To everyone that's, you know, given the podcast a listen this semester, thank you so much. It's, it's been a tough year. There have been a lot of ups and downs, but we're really grateful to have made it through, and, and we're grateful, you know, for you listening, and we're really excited for the fall of 2023. Obviously, the league will look probably a lot different by then. Um, off seasons have been incredibly interesting in the NBA most recently, but have a great summer. Go out and be nice to people, and thank you for listening.